Hello and welcome to Switch It, the podcast that's a bit like an awkward patch on a good lamp. You never know quite what to expect. For the second time in a week, England looked like they didn't know what hit them as defeat in Antigua handed the Test Series to West Indies. And we've got another powerful one-two combination lined up as I'm joined by Andrew Miller and Mark Butcher to pick through the rubble. And there is at least one Englishman who's having a good tour and we'll hear from George DeBell on the phone. <laughs> For Jason Holder's team, it was a magnificent triumph, though he will be forced to watch the third test from the sidelines after receiving a slow overrate ban from the ICC, uh, more of which later. England's miserable record in the Caribbean will be extended to 2022 at least, uh, and you suspect, Butch, that uh, no one will be talking up their chances ahead of the next tour. <laughs> of course they will. <laughs> we'll, win it. we'll win three nil. How, many test, how many test matches are there in there? <laughs> three match series, it'll be three nil. Um... Yeah, I mean, how what way to sort of uh, to make all of the pundits, all of us, um, look incredibly silly um, with with another utterly abject batting performance in that uh, in that second innings. I thought first innings, um, having lost a toss and, and been stuck in, you know, a little bit of luck here and there, and they might have managed to chisel out two hundred and fifty. Um, and then the West Indies played quite magnificently. I mean, you know. A, in order to, to, to put runs on the board in the Caribbean, quite often that's the way that you have to go about it. You have to be willing to um, to take a few blows, to have a few balls misbehave, to um, you know to, to go along at sort of two and over, one and a half and over at times in order to, to, to get yourself into a position where you might be able to, to then put the foot down. Um, and the West Indies did it absolutely magnificently. Um, most of them against their against their sort of their better nature. Um, particularly uh, Darren Bravo, um, and then what followed from England was, you know, I, you know, Bangladesh was bad getting bowled out in the session, but turning ball, those sorts of conditions, um, that can happen to that can happen to anybody, particularly us. Um, but I'm afraid in conditions whereby what you're what you're required to do is to go out there, show a little bit of show a little bit of ticker, more than anything else. Um, you know, four seamers. We're not talking about Holder, Holding, Garner, um, Roberts, and Croft here. We're talking about a, a good bowling attack with one guy, perhaps who could clock up ninety miles an hour, and Gabriel and the rest are, are, are seam bowlers. Seam bowlers in the same way that we've got. Them. Um, and guys were staying leg side of the ball. Blokes trying to play shots because they were expecting the ball to do something strange. It was it was pretty gutless. Um, and you can you can make excuses of any kind, you know, county cricket or fast bowling and all this kind of stuff. But at the end of it all, that was spineless. Um, no more, no less. Well, that's pretty emphatic. England um, <laughs> Miller had a, had a few excuses to lean on, perhaps in in Barbados preparedness and selection. Um, but there was nowhere to hide after that one. No, when you lose, uh, what was it, 97 runs, 10 wickets and 30.1 overs. I mean, you know, we've, it is essentially losing all of your all of your batsmen, the entire team in a session, which is what England endlessly do. But yeah, as Butch is saying, I mean, that was about as pitiful as I've seen. I mean, four bowls, was it? Three LBWs? I mean, it was just it was just wicket-to-wicket bowling. And, you know, if it's wicket-to-wicket bowling, you saw from the way the West Indies batted, play wicket-to-wicket batting. Just put your bat in the way, hold the line, don't get the edge, protect your stumps. 
you know, I know, I, I, I know, I'm, I'm not the test batsman in this room, and I, it's not as simple as that. But frankly, well, when no, you... it actually <laughs> is. I mean, that's, this is the point. Nothing, nothing that happened. There was no bowling that, that was any that was of any great trickery. Anything, you know, there was no reverse swing. There was no, nothing going on. The, the odd ball went up and down, which had done right the way through the test match. And as I said before, the only thing that really to worry about is that you might get hit on the hands once in a while. Ball might misbehave. You know, there could be a bruise knocking around here and there. That's that's it. Right, um, and you had to be willing to kind of go out there and, 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 and take that on um, to try and stay in the series, and got bowled out in forty overs again. And you've probably played on a few cabbage patches. I played on several <laughs> cabbage patches. In fact, I had I, I was very fortunate that England being bowled out <laughs> bowled out for uh, in a three day test match. I was able to go for my first net with a camel this week. Oh, uh, you lucky, lucky and I so. I played some I didn't appalling shots. I mean, you know, I, I'm not I'm not pretending, but that was my first first net of the season. I was staying leg side, <laughs> wafting at everything, missing everything. I, you know, I played exactly as badly as England, <laughs> and it, you know, I'm not I'm not proud of that. But you know, oh. you, you do wonder whether England are willing to learn because they are so stuck in this mindset that we are gung ho, we are going to keep playing our shots. I mean, there was this wonderful juxtaposition on on Cricketers' homepage the other day, which was uh, Johnny Bairstow. I, I I never felt in in my innings, so I thought I'd throw the kitchen sink at it. And then just above it was uh, was Brathwaite, uh, George's hail mary to, to to Brathwaite's stickability. It was a beautiful there and there in a nutshell was was the West Indies approach was we're going to hang around, dig in take some blows and England's approach oh, it's, it's a bit of a weird pitch have a swing uh, I mean it's just, it's, it wasn't yeah. good enough I mean you know the, the, there is something something in this that's got nothing to do with any of the other with any of the, the the reasoning that people might give oh you know well the county championship has been pushed to the end of the season Q George um, you know we don't see enough quick bowling in county cricket all of these types of things nonsense that was a decision made by in the mind of every batsman that walked out there was that I am not going to be bothered to stick around, to try and stick around and fight for some runs here. I'm going to go out there and throw the bat at everything and see if I can get lucky. That's a decision made in the head. That's not a decision that's been that's been forced upon you or something, some sort of technical, um, uh, some sort of technical moroseness caused by um, the poor the paucity of county cricket in July. You know, <laughs> <laughs> come on, people. And you know, I, I, I generally I try to be, I think anyway, reasonably sober about assessments of, of you know failures and successes when it comes to the England team. I'm not one to given given massively to hyperbole and having a having a pop at people, but I was pretty bloody disgusted by that on Saturday. I really was. It got me quite upset. Um, so well, we man, don't need this to happen anymore. Uh, 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 you being upset is. Is good for our listeners, uh, which, um, and I don't want there to be any spoilers. But we are about to hear from George, um, and he might mention the county going. Let's get the view from the rum shack with George DeBell. Uh, with all these extra, <laughs> with all these extra days off, I presume you're just about to head down to the sun lounger by the pool, George. Oh, you can sod right off. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, days off. It's, it's funny. Have you ever seen? There's a cartoon, isn't there, of what people think your job is like and the reality. And it has been a few days like that. I've had a lot of people say, what are you doing with your days off? And uh, it's funny because I've been sitting in my room <laughs> typing away. Maybe I'm very slow at working. I think that's, that's probably very true. But uh, I can hear the beach, you know. <laughs> but I honestly haven't seen it for about five or six days. <laughs> so anyway, I don't mean to sound bitter. It's very frustrating. <laughs> You've got a shell you can hold up to your ear. Um 
J- joking yeah. aside, you've seen England underperform uh, frequently over the years, but where does this rank among the low points of the Bayliss era, do you think? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, well, I don't think it is too bad a thing to have lost to this West Indies side in that I think they're a good side. And I actually think that they've won rather than England have lost. I, 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 you know, you, you understand the, the different emphasis in that. Yeah, absolutely. But having said that, having said that and not wanting to be disrespectful, I thought the batting class in the second innings in Barbados was just about as bad as I've seen. Now, I know the stats don't suggest it because we've seen England lose 10 wickets in a session three times in recent times. But at least two of those, the ones in Auckland, and, sorry, the one in Auckland and the one in Bangladesh, the conditions were desperately tough. And although, you know, 10 wickets in a session isn't good enough, you know, you can't learn some slack because the bowling was extremely difficult. And I thought it was a bit like that with the 77 all out. I thought Kim Roach was sensational. I thought uh, yeah, England were caught a bit cold, and um, th- there was some mitigation. I'm not saying you explain away 77, but there was some mitigation. But to lose 8 to 60 to Roston Chase, who is a competent off spinner and was bowling on a pitch that didn't really turn, was soft. It was very soft. And, and the, the language that Trevor Bayliss used afterwards was unlike him. I think he said it was weak. Uh, and that they lack fight. Uh, and then he said the same thing after the second inning to Antigua. And he was cross. I mean, I spoke to him um, off the record as well, and he was really angry. Uh, and I thought the second inning collapse in Antigua was soft as well. I thought that, that as Darren Bravo said, they, they did let the pitch get into their heads, and they pushed at the ball. They were both loose and tentative, and it was soft. And I haven't seen, yeah, that, that, so that's a worry. So uh, I, I do think that West Indies deserve a lot of credit. I think they've played really, really well. But when things get difficult, this England team folds a little bit meekly. And that is a worry. Well, um, you mentioned um, Darren Bravo. Uh, you spoke to him uh, the other day. I mean, England have been very vocal about their approach to to batting in, in difficult conditions and it brought them some success in, in Sri Lanka but um, but Bravo after his 216 ball 50 um, in Antigua it, he had a rather different take on, on, on the um, the best tactics or the best approach in that situation Well I thought he made Joe Root seem a bit foolish Joe Root said in the lead up to the series you don't win matches by batting time and Darren Bravo won a match by batting time and so did Craig Brathwaite, actually. So they basically just took root. They didn't play any uh, particularly aggressive shots, or very few. And they nudged and nurdled their way to lots of runs. They wore out the England attack. They frustrated England. They broke their spirit, which is really underrated. You know, I don't think... Maybe we don't talk about that enough, but if you keep a side out in the field, the session after session in this heat, if you put all those... Those hours in their legs, you can break them, uh, and we saw it happen in Barbados. I think England were in the uh, field for fourteen and a half hours with with just their innings, which was two hours twenty minutes or something in between. 
Uh, and if you, if you think about that, I mean, I, I don't know if anyone listening plays club cricket or club cricket, whatever it is, but being in the field, even in the T20, I find is very tough. You know, you really feel it. <laughs> uh, and imagine doing it for 14 and a half hours. It is uh, desperate. And uh, the worry would be, from an England perspective, is that they looked as if the spirits were a little bit broken. They would deny that. But I would say that the way they batted was a real worry. And, and I think it has shone a light on Joe Root's captaincy. I still think he's the right man for the job. But he's going to have to learn and mature and uh, develop a more sophisticated approach. Because at the moment, he has looked uh, naive. And he's been completely outplayed and outthought by the West Indies camp. Um, you've touched on how good West Indies have been and how well captained they've been by Jason Holder um, obviously there's a, a lot of a lot to celebrate about them winning um, and, and a lot of optimism kind of bobbing around is, is there a sense do you um, feel that uh, kind of this really could be the rebirth of West Indies as a test nation see there is cautious optimism yes uh, and I don't think we should be that surprised I mean I wasn't as uh, I wasn't as bullish as uh, other English journalists I don't think before the series in the England's you know, the one who once in 50 years. Um, I don't know why people were quite so confident going into the series. Um, having said that, West Indies' record generally has been very poor. But it, it, we shouldn't be that surprised because in the last few years, they have doubled the amount of first-class games they play. They have at least tripled the amount of professional cricketers they have at first-class level. You know, they've invested in their regional game, in their first class of white, uh, and 50-over game. And we haven't. We've gone the other way with it, haven't we? We've dismantled it, we've diluted it, and you know what we've done? We've pushed it to the margins of the season, for those who want to play bingo with what I'm saying. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you don't have to be a genius. We've heard it before, but you're not wrong, George. Yeah, you don't have to be a genius to work out what's happened a bit, in that they've invested in Red Bull cricket, and England haven't, and, they, and, they, and they've been caught cold a bit. Maybe the, the warm-up uh, programme wasn't extensive enough either. But I, I really do want to go back again and again to say, like, I don't think this is really a case of just England playing poorly. West Indies have played terrifically well, and they've just been the better side. They haven't been lucky. They haven't uh, particularly uh, benefited from the tosses. I don't think the tosses are important, as other people think. Because even in Antigua, West Indies should have batted fourth on a, uh, a, a on a pitch that was probably going to be very difficult. Um, England didn't make that pay. Uh, I, I just think they've been terrific. Uh, we've got to be cautious because uh, who knows where it will lead. There are political issues here. There, there, there's always going to be difficulties. But if well, India come here next, if West Indies play India on the same sorts of pitches that they played England. I don't know. Anything can happen. You all you'd say is the India attack looks like it can take take on any circumstance, any context, and do very well, which England doesn't. Uh, I, I think they'll probably play one test in Trinidad. I just don't know what the surface will be like. But if they give their bowlers a chance, if West Indies give their bowlers a chance with a, a lively surface in this Duke's ball, I think they're going to be a match for just about anyone here. Uh, and that would be really exciting, wouldn't it? Uh, it would be really, really nice to see. I think everyone would want to see that. But it's early days, and there are a couple of little danger signs. 
for example, the chief executive and the director of cricket, I think they're out of contract in a year. I would be a bit surprised if they stayed in the current circumstances uh, because of the board interference uh, and it could all fall apart very quickly. But let's hope it doesn't because there's definitely quite a lot of encouraging signs uh, right in front of us. Indeed. And, and just one final thought on England. Um, it's been a, they've got the 100, of course, so you know it, it, that'll solve things. Um, but it's, it's, um, it's been a bad start to 2019 so far, a, a big year for the English game. Um, but do you see them getting swiftly back on track after, after the tests are done with? Or is this going to have sort of a psychological impact for the rest of the, the year? Yeah, it's a good question. It's funny because uh, I started calling Ashley Giles or spelling his name with like five capital L's in the middle of Giles because ever since he took over the curse of Ashley Giles, <laughs> uh, ever since he took over, every morning an England side seems to lose somewhere in the world, doesn't it? Whether it's the Young Lions, the Lions, whatever. There's never a moment when England aren't being beaten somewhere. Uh, the sun never sets it have a psychological effect? I think it can, actually. Um, in that most of the players are the same, and they are having a reality check. Uh, in that I don't think they're as good as they think they are. Uh, but they're not as good at test cricket as they think they are. And they actually are very good at white ball cricket. My main worry with the white ball side is that there's a couple of bowlers in there who I think are in decline, there are probably three of them actually, uh, and uh, they're all probably a year past their best and not quite as quick as they were. Uh, that is a bit of a worry, but you play white ball cricket on such different surfaces. And England's record has been fantastic, and Owen Morgan will come back and that will lift the side. Uh, I, I don't think there's anything to be hugely worried about right now, but this is a very, well, probably a welcome reality check. And those people who think that England are overwhelming favourites for the Ashes really need to think again, because when Warner and Smith are back, uh, I think Australia will be a formidable side again, I'm afraid. And uh, uh, England aren't solving their problems. I don't see those top-order batsmen who they've been looking for for years, they're still not there. I still don't see an obvious replacement for Anderson in particular. Uh, and it looks like Wokes' knee problem, you know, is, is getting to the chronic stage. Uh, there are some worries, and I thought that uh, Trevor Bayliss' legacy was uh, being dismantled in front of him in recent days. This could all be turned around if England win the World Cup of the Ashes. I fear not many people outside the Caribbean will remember this tour. Uh, but, uh, yeah, they, they, these are warning signs, and I'm not quite sure what the solutions are. I, I, one thing, as an aside, if they brought Jamie Overton, for example... He would have been an absolute nightmare on that Antigua surface. If he had bowled well, he would have been as difficult to face anyone in the world. Uh, so they picked the wrong side. They have uh, several people have had a very bad tour, I think, and one of them is Ed Smith, who declined to speak to the media yesterday. Uh, Sam Curran too has had a, a very, very poor tour, hasn't he, in terms of his reputation? He's young and he can recover, uh, and I guess the team can recover too. But uh, it has been a massive slap in the face and a wake-up call. Well, thanks, George. Um, we can assure you not all Englishmen have, have had a bad tour. Uh, we appreciate all of your hard work. And we'll let you get back to listening to the sounds <laughs> of the sea through your window. Thank you very much. Nice to talk to you. So it may be near freezing uh, here in the UK, but George still has not seen the beach. So spare a thought, eh?
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, now England's batting, uh, uh, as we've um, already begun to get into, um, uh, was messier than Jackson Pollock eating spaghetti and meatballs. Um, so there's plenty of clearing up to do there. But but I think we should perhaps first uh, talk about Holder and his mighty mob. Um, a team who looks set to put the wind back into Windies for the first time in a long time, Miller. Oh, God, yes. It's, it's been, it's, it has genuinely been uplifting to watch that side of the tour. I mean, you know, leave aside England's woeful performance. It's, it has been glorious. You know, I, I, you know, I, I make no apologies for, for eulogising about the, the, the 1990s when I grew up. England were beaten to a pulp every time they went away, whether it was Australia, whether it was West Indies, whether it was South Africa. But you could only admire the bowlers and the calibre of the of the opponents that England came up against every bloody winter. <laughs> and, and, you know, this is not quite the same. Butch has touched on it. They're not, they're not as fast. They're not as relentless. But when you've got four horsemen galloping in and giving England the hurry-up on a slightly dubious pitch, it, it, it is a wonderful <laughs> sight. I, I'm, I'm, I, I, I'm happy to wave my, my nationalistic, time, at least. nationalistic flag-waving <laughs> for, for, the, for the greater good. And I've really enjoyed the series. I've really enjoyed the spectacle. And if England showed a bit of ticker, it could have been going down to a decider. It, it, you know, it really, it really should, it really should be a humdinger. And, and instead, it's been it's been a turkey shoot, and, and that's been almost as interesting. Mm. And I mean, they showed the way. That, certainly, um, Craig Brathwaite and Darren Bravo yeah. showed well, they the approach. All did, really, um, yeah. I mean, with the exception of um, of, uh, of everyone's favourite Cavalier Shimron Hetmeyer, they all came <laughs> out and decided that they were going to give their wickets away um, extremely dearly indeed. And it was. Uh, you know, it's kind of compelling to watch that, isn't it? Because you know, you, you, when you know that the ball is in, you know, on top to the extent that it that it was at times during the game, um, seeing batsmen kind of really, really knuckle down to scoring, to chiselling out runs is actually, you know, <laughs> it doesn't sound very exciting, but it's actually worth watching. Um, and so, yeah, the, the the West Indies batsmen take an enormous amount of credit for for chiselling out that uh, that hundred run lead, um, and um, and I've just, I've just really enjoyed watching them all come together and play as a side like that. I mean, somebody like Darren Bravo, for example, you know, hadn't played any first-class cricket for ages, um, was had fallen foul of you know, the selectors, possibly David Cameron, the, uh, mm. the, the the big boss man, um, was part of the you know the, the the Flash Harrys, I suppose, if you like, the guys who went off and made all the money on playing in T20. Although all of those guys would say to them, say say to to us here that we were more than happy to play wanted to play for the West Indies but, they, but we were forced out um, you know so Bravo was, was, was one of those interesting cases whereby uh, Holder's got this new team young guys most of whom you know people outside of the Caribbean um, wouldn't have heard a great deal about wouldn't have seen an enormous amount of um, and they're kind of building a spirit that you know Stuart Law Imagine him at the moment freezing his, freezing himself <laughs> to death in, in, in uh, Lords in pre-season Middlesex, watching the, the team that he ostensibly put together kind of do what they've just done to him. Getting a warm glow through the TV yeah, screen, I'm I, sure. I would imagine so. <laughs> um, and so you know, so Bravo comes back into that environment with with a lot to lose, really, because um, you know, it, not played any cricket, has been on the other side of it, has kind of been is, is tarred with the same brushes as. as Dwayne Bravo and Chris Gale and all the rest of them and comes back into the side looks all over the place in the first test match and then the second second test he basically decides he's going to dig himself a trench and score one of the you know most valuable 50s of his of his test match career um, and that kind of shows you that these guys are together 
if somebody like him is willing to come out and play like that in order to kind of obviously to get himself back into the team but also to show to, to, to show that he's bought in to what the, the, the younger and lesser lights are trying to do then you kind of got wow these blokes are, are really quite serious about this whole thing it's a great um, advert as well, though, because yeah. I mean, talking of the you know the the will of for West Indies to or the West Indies big guns to play for West Indies. I mean, mm. you only have to hark back to uh, Darren Sammy's speech at the end of the World T Twenty mm. and h- him making the point that you know we've won this for the people of the Caribbean. We mm. we want to play more often. We want to be a part of, mm. of of a renaissance. But you know, circumstances are great. Says here's a guy who hasn't quite made it in T Twenty to the same degree as they have, mm. but he's got his one chance to come back and and you know fly the flag for West Indies and my god he's done that it, it, yeah. it is really it's uplifting genuinely uplifting to see that you know these guys can be disparaged as mercenaries for all, all you like by, by, by the people high up in the West Indies but when it comes down to it they're willing to put uh, body and soul on the line for, for, for rallying around West Indies it, yeah. it, it's a great tale well, and the, there was uh, the added inspiration of uh, rallying around a young teammate um, Alzari Joseph <laughs> his mum died on the wow. morning of the third day um and then he bowled at that magnificent spell um, that pretty much broke England's resolve. Um, yeah, got yeah, it was, uh, Root and Denley out. And, mm-hmm. uh, he did, and had Stokes dropped. Stokes, Stokes dropped yeah. drop second ball. I mean, it, it was it was a wonderfully mesmerically focused spell from him. I and mean, he he was so focused he barely appealed for anything. The, the Root catch. <laughs> he was walking back to his mark. He, you know, it was his, his skipper insisted on calling for the review, and lo and behold, he was he was vindicated. But mm. you know, what, what an extraordinary, tragic but 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 amazing moment for him to you know have have that opportunity just to go out and put on a show in memory of his mum and have everyone around him obviously you know he, he wouldn't wish on anyone but for it to happen on his home island as well you know clearly there was there was you know he could have been anywhere in the world playing for West Indies it just so happened that was that was the day and that was the island uh, it's it's terribly sad but um, what a what a way to 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 mark such a moment and, and he took a wicket with his First ball on Antigua, first test delivery on Antiguan soil exactly. as well. Yeah, like, yeah, probably yeah. wasn't his best one of them. <laughs> no, no, he was joking. Yeah, look at the scorecard. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I say. Um, this was uh, I, West. Oh, somebody, sorry, the, um, the the left-hander, top top of the order, Campbell. Campbell, John he Campbell. Made his debut in the in the in the first test. He looks like a serious player to me. But, you know, I the think first he's, uh, test match. Super, kind of looked at him and went, <laughs> "Yeah, he's <yeah>, very good." <laughs> um, <laughs> um, he looked, uh, you know, first test. He, Obviously, looks like he can play a few shots, and, and the shot that, that finished the Test match off will tell you that, um, given the chance to play a bit of T Twenty stuff, that he'll be able to he'll be able to send the ball a long, long mm. way. But the thing that impressed me most, and again, the, the juxtaposition to England's batsman was was um, was stark, was that he seriously kind of held great shapes, really good footwork in defence. Um, you know, had the odd waft outside of stump. He's left-handed. He's entirely, he's entirely entitled to do <laughs> that sort gene. of thing. Tried to but scoop then, broad, which was one. Well, yeah, tried to scoop broad. <laughs> I mean, that, but he, but, but there was a, there's a, 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 there's a technique there. There's a toughness there because he, he wore, he wore plenty, um, and um, he looks like a, a really good. He looks like the kind of like the the best, um, the best out of nowhere uh, young West Indian batsman I've seen for a very very long time. Um, you know, see guys like Shea Hope and terrific players. Brathwaite has proven himself over a long time to be sort of obdurate, etc. But he's kind of come in. I, I, I'm not even sure I'd seen him back before, and I was kind of like, "Wow, this kid can play." Yeah, he's sort of towards the end, other end of his, his career, isn't he? I think late late twenties, um, and only averaging about thirty in first class cricket. But I mean, his that little duel with Broad actually was was one of the 
I mean, there were there were lots of fascinating passages of play which actually didn't. I mean, that did ultimately end in a wicket for Ben Stokes, but um, mm. but Campbell yeah. Broad was Broad was. I mean, Broad's facial expressions were were were. were I mean, talk, talk about that. talk about Butch becoming a, becoming a meme last week on, on the back of his, his shaking of the head. I mean, you know, get get every moment of of that jewel and, and, and stick it out as a gif. It'll go far. It was. I mean, Broad Broad bowled magnificently. His shorter run up, his explosion explosion through the crease. Everything seemed to be. Come together. He put in together, put together a performance that 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 made a mockery of his absence in the first test, frankly. Mm. But at the same time, you know, we've come full circle with England. We've gone through this extraordinary weird eight wins in nine tests or whatever it was, where whereby we think they've they've reinvented the wheel, and now we're back you at thought. the well. Okay, I'm coming back to that because I, I'm not. You I, okay, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not letting go of this one. Round three, ding I'm ding. Not, I'm not letting go of this one. Look, look, look I, hold, hold that thought about broad because I'm coming back to that. But the but the point about the point about this is this is not a zero sum game. You, you 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 cannot not have a position whereby getting more skills into the team is a bad thing. And uh, you know, I, I I I happen to be able to play classic rock tunes on my teeth. That does not mean I could not also learn the complete works of Shakespeare if I so wished. Uh, the fact is, I don't. I don't have the application to do both. Future pods will explore these skills. But, you know, there, there is no reason why England cannot have a team that is packed with all-rounders so long as they pick the right all-rounders. And the one thing they didn't do, and this comes back to the point I was about to make about Broad, the one thing they do not have on that side is out-and-out pace. You know, Broad bowled magnificently, but he's not out-and-out pace. Anderson... Bowled very well, but you know there was the, there was just enough time for them to, to to get inside the line or get down back down on it. The one thing that the one thing that happened in the in Australia, it's, you know, it was like the Adelaide Test in Australia last year. England bowled very well, but they were blown away by quicker bowlers. And on this occasion, we, we're back in that position whereby England just don't have the pace whereby the opposition do, and that is a big big issue that they're not going to change overnight. Especially if they keep keep playing poor Sam Curran, who is a scapegoat in here, but. Playing Sam Curran instead of a quicker bowler, Mark Wood if has to be, but Ollie Stone would have been the ideal choice on this tour until he was injured. It, it, these are these are the problems England have. I mean, Butch, the case of specialists. Unfortunately, there aren't many ninety mile an hour bowlers that could come in. Uh, right. is, is the one drawback. Uh, Chris Wokes still injured now. Uh, I th- no, I think he's well. No, there was a fitness doubt over him for the first, first two tests in the year, so. Yeah, he does seem to have rather dropped off the radar yeah. in this, I mean, you know, on this he's, tour. He's, he's still somebody, out there as far as I'm aware. George would tell us, I'm sure, if he, but if can he bowl, disappeared. can bowl reasonably quickly. I mean, but that's not, that's not the issue, is it? it? The issue is is that we haven't got anybody that can score a run between numbers one and five. Well, and, the, you know, you know, and, you can, <laughs> and the thing is is that we've got all-rounders, actually, at the moment. You know, as I said before, Johnny Bairstow, for me, is not, is not the answer for England at number three. Um... We've been we're, we're again landed in a position whereby because of because of decisions that were made, um, i.e., Josh Butler being picked in the team to bat at number seven, right? Mm-hmm. He was picked as a specialist batsman batting at number seven, with a wicketkeeper batsman and Johnny Besto batting at number five. Johnny gets injured. We then bring in another wicketkeeper who's going to be a, a, somebody that will bat at number seven and number eight. Josh finds himself at number five. No. <laughs> Johnny finds himself at number three. No, neither of them are keeping wicket, and Ben focuses at number this eight. This is exactly the point. That, that England have got so many options with so many all-rounders. The trouble is, they're filling those gaps that are created by all-rounders with bloody wicket-keepers. Why do you need three wicket-keepers? Why not have fast bowlers? Well, <laughs> you're both obviously jumping at the bit here. Well, just a couple <laughs> more things on, on the windies. Um, 
this is their their first series win uh, over another a top eight opponent um, since 2012 when they they beat New Zealand uh, uh, and then before that you go back to beating England one nil in um, a series we've referenced a few times over the past couple <laughs> of weeks. Um, they've actually only beaten uh, I think f- this is their fifth win this millennium against uh, series win against um, top eight opposition. Um, has it been slightly tarnished by the fact that uh, Jason Holder won't be available for the third test? Yes. I, I, I'm really, really miffed by that decision. I mean, I, I, I come at this as, uh, from a point of view where I, I genuinely do not understand why people get wound up by overrates. I know that there are occasions, such as, you know, England at Cardiff or, or the Trinidad test in 1990, whereby, you know, there will be you know, serious repercussions if you go have a go slow and, and sneak out the other end with a draw. And that's the only occasion where I feel that overrates are an issue, where, where, where you've got to get a move on for the sake of completing a game. But, you know, on a day when, when wickets are tumbling, are you seriously tapping your watch and thinking, well, I'm not going to get my 90 overs here? It's outrageous. I've got seen 17 wickets or 18 wickets or whatever it was in, in, in Barbados on, on a single day. And, and, you know, you may be shortchanged. Are you shortchanged? Really? I just don't believe you are. And so for, for you know, because Holder's ban is off the back of the Barbados test as well as this. I mean, he, they were a little bit behind and then, you know, they've tried to pull the trigger after being behind again, two overs behind, allegedly, mm. uh, in Antigua. And the really problem is, is it, when you, if you're bowling teams out in a session, you're, you're going to get behind. There's nothing, and there isn't any way, there's no recourse to fixing it because it's the last, last innings of the game, generally, generally speaking. Um, look, I yeah, mean, we, we, I mean, we missed out on Ross and Chase having a few uh, at the end of the <laughs> Yeah, that's, what mean, that's, that's the real crime. That's the real crime. The, the the problem is this: people moan about slow overrates. <laughs> they do, whether you whether you think they should think or you're not. Come to the central they paradox do. here. Uh, <laughs> they do. But then, when something butch. gets done about 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 said slow overrates, everybody gets upset about that too. Now, rules for me, rules. For me, for me, they need, to, they need to come up with something. And the problem is what. Um, that penalises teams in game. You shouldn't. It shouldn't. Penal, it shouldn't have an effect on the next match or another series, etc. It should happen in the game in which you're playing. Because if there is an advantage being gained or an advantage being lost by virtue of one team being slow through the overs, then you should be able. There should be recourse for you to gather that that advantage back through some sort of penalty. Um, either that, or you just don't worry about it. Um, you know. The, if your game finishes with two days, to, two days to go, how the hell are you down on the overs? <laughs> so and if you've the, completed uh, a match, <laughs> you've completed a match with two days spare. It's how are you behind? Schrodinger's overrate. <laughs> yeah. uh, um, but there you go. Slow, I mean, the thing is, both slow that, play and finishing two days. I mean, the suggestion, I, the suggestion I, I, I raised in piece I wrote about yesterday is eat into the lunch break or the tea break. If, if you're really that bothered, it's usually the fielding side that is at fault here. You know, every now and again, the batsman might fiddle with his gloves to stop that final over before lunch. But by and large, it's a fielding issue. The dallying, the long run-ups, the, 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 re, the placement of fields, etc. Yeah, four-man four pace attack. Yeah. I mean, this is another, another part of it, isn't it? Everyone's sort of thrilled by the idea of the West Indies going back to playing four quicks again. Well, you play four quicks, you end up with slow overrate. End of story. Just, that's it. You know, where did this begin? It began in the 70s. Frankly, when, when, you, when, when West Indies had the four gentlemen, the four horsemen of the apocalypse that I mentioned earlier, they would get through 12 overs an hour. But the thing was, they always had a, a, a day and a half of the game left because they won the, they won the, the other point, though, is, is when you've got... When, OK, not everyone is like Michael Holding, but if you were to watch Michael Holding 
charging in from the sight screen, galloping in in that wonderful run-up. That is part of the spectacle you're paying for. You, okay, you're not getting your delivery, but you are getting the full spectacle of a man sprinting in, galloping in. Are you saying that's more entertaining than watching Chris Harris box? Or, or Ravinder <laughs> Jadeja. I mean, seriously, I would, I would, I would pay to watch 80, 70 overs of quick bowling than Ravinder Jadeja all day long. What about um, Alex Hales? Uh, uh, Alex Hales, <laughs> the comedy effect, uh, once in a blue moon for, I mean, for, for impact in the test match. It might not have been his never finest again. Now, but it's one of your no. finest. Uh, <laughs> however, however, just to, like just to, to wrap the whole thing up, the the, rule, the rules are there, whether we like them or not, and they have been enforced. So you know, take it or leave it. There we go. Uh, tie a bow around that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> now, Johnny Bairstow at number three, Joss Butler at number five. Mm. Ben Folks at number eight. England only have two more test matches before the Ashes. And Australia started winning again. Hmm. Discuss. Yeah, so they just beat yeah. Sri Lanka. <laughs> well, yes, yeah, so we did that. Nothing that like that. Count. We've just, <laughs> I feel like, overconfident. Yeah, yeah. indeed. Yeah, let, let's set, set, set Mandrake loose on Australia now. That's only fair. Um, I don't know. Uh, the, the one thing that worries me, and I've touched on it already, is the fast bowlers. I, I think if, 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 if England's Not pitches are... are Quick seamers. Who's fast bowlers? Theirs or our lack? Their their plethora, our lack. If there are quick seamers or even flat pitches, I think we will get turned over. Like we were three-two last time round, we got hammered when there wasn't anything in the Lords pitch. Lords in the oval. Lords in the oval. We got hammered on the, both of those. And Lords is always a flat deck, so I'm worried about Lords already. I think you know Hazelwood and Cummins and every, the Stark. If he if he finds his mojo again, they will. They will be howling at the gate, and they've got a better spinner than us as well. So I'm worried about their bowling attack. I'm still not convinced that you know beating up. Uh, you know, I, I say this from experience. I mean, what England do it? <laughs> beating up a, a poor Sri Lankan side on home soil is not going to prove anything for a team that's taken what 18 months to score a Test century. It's uh, it's not. Uh, you know, it's going to be. It's going to be. A, I hope it's going to be a great Ashes because I think they're two fundamentally flawed sides, mm. and that's that's often when the best Test cricket happens. In this day and age, unless you get a humdinger in 2005 when you got two absolutely top-notch teams going hammer and tongs, the next best thing is two equally flawed teams. Two flawed teams going at it, hammer and tongs. Um, I mean, is there a sense here that um, England? Uh, there's been a bit of a balancing out uh, in the universe. Hmm. They, they lost the toss both both these games. Hmm. Um, you, you can uh, discuss how significant that was. But obviously, Root won three tosses in Sri Lanka, won five against India, um, and uh, and did pretty well out of it. Um, yeah. I mean, that Root said he would have bowled first um, yeah. in Antigua, but uh, but as George has mentioned, um, <clears throat> they they did squander the chance to bowl last in Antigua, yeah. which could have been fun. Yeah, of course it makes a difference. But you know, that's tosses the toss. I think you've got fifty percent chance of winning it or losing it. So, I mean, no issues there. The, the issues are the same as they have been for ages. Um, you know, what, one of, and it will probably be Ben, ben Folks, is going to have to not play. My, my feeling would be, and this is probably sacrilege, that if Josh Butler is not going to be wicketkeeper batsman in the test side, that he doesn't get in the team. That's my feeling. Um, because, again, I've, 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 I'm not having, I'm not having a, a, a specialist batsman as a, as a number seven. I'm not having it because it just gets in the way of the balance of the rest well, of the like side. Well, like you say, he came back as a specialist number seven. Well, but, uh. Right, so there we go. So, so he's, now, he's now batting at number five, which is, I think, nosebleed territory for him. Um, but nothing, nothing to do with, the, his la- with lack of talent or anything, but it's just he's being asked to do something that he's never, ever done before. Um, and, and as a player who is, 
you know, who you'd, who you'd love to see walk in number seven with 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 the tail around him, maybe, and, and a chance to have a dip and counter attack. But somebody that's got three day, no, two two days in front of him to go out there and make a double hundred, it's kind of a it's a completely different mm-hmm. mindset and something that I think is a little bit unfair for him to have to do. Johnny, I think, is ideally suited to be that man to do that do that from number from number five position i just think it's i think it's very very difficult for him at the top of the order being that he is so attack minded um to go so against his against his nature to play in a completely different way at number three and so england England are are left in exactly the same position they were before the before all the nonsense and the, the euphoria about a sri lanka win when it came came in in that you're trying to fit too many, too many of the same player in the same position. Ben Stokes should never be any higher than number six, particularly given that he's now bowling more overs than <laughs> probably more overs than Derek Underwood at the moment. <laughs> you know, it's you know, so so you, you've got a, you've got an, a, you've got issues all the way through a batting lineup where most of those guys are much happier batting from six downwards, most of them, and so you've got to find number three. Probably going to have to find another opening batsman. Maybe two, no one. I think Rory Burns has, has played well enough in that second innings at, in the first test for him to, to have earned a bit of leeway. So you've got to find a number three, you've got to find a, 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 an opening batsman, and you've got, to, you've, got to, you've got to be ruthless in terms of what do you want? Are you, do you want the better gloveman? I mean, anybody that watched Johnny Bairstow standing behind the stumps in, in Ben Folkes' place and watched the two, you know, just had the, had the picture in their mind's eye of how it looked before and how it looked after <laughs> is now, now, now you're understanding the difference between a guy who's a real keeper and one who's, who's worked bloody hard at it. You know, that's, and again, that's not, a, that's not a, a, to the detriment of Johnny Best. I'm not having a go at him. I'm just saying one guy is a natural, the other guy is a, is a manufactured keeper. Do you want... To keep the great Gloveman, who is very, very, very likely to average 35 batting at number seven, number eight as a wicket keeper, or do you want to go compromise your wicket keeping capability for somebody like Joss um, batting at number seven who could come and do mad things with the bat down the order, or do you want to compromise Johnny's potential run making ability as a, as a specialist batsman and have him back down there at number seven and keep wicket? Now that decision has got to be made and has got to be made soon, and only two of them can play, and Johnny's one of them. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, is that is that fair? I think that's probably fair. I think it, the one the one thing though, it's one quite a lot of logic. It, but uh, Ben Folks did get an injury in in um, Antigua, mm. albeit not a break. I mean, it, does that give England an excuse to, to switch oh, things around again? It doesn't, does it? Because who who kept wicket? The bloke <laughs> who kept wicket, the guy who was going to have the to number bat three, number three who after one hundred and twenty overs in the field. Th- I mean, so jo- again, Joss is Joss is batting is playing as a number five. Is this Come is this on. the case, uh, Miller? Oh, I mean, the, the whole Bayless regime has been uh, about joysticks and, uh, and <laughs> well noises and so on, and very relaxed about players making decisions. Are there, are there too many decisions being made made by the players here? You know, Bears are saying, "Well, I'll keep uh, your number three, Johnny." Does does <laughs> Bayless uh, ultimately have to clamp down, yeah, well, stamp down, yeah. and, and, and tell? the players what they're doing. I think someone needs to, someone needs to step in at some stage but the one thing one thing I, I, I'm interested in as well is is obviously the, the, the big overarching theme of the Bayless era is building towards the World Cup mm-hmm. everything that, everything that happens outside of one day cricket right this moment in time for the first time in England's history is broadly irrelevant to the bigger picture we've got to win this yeah. World Cup on home so we've got yeah. to put on a show and then when we come out of that we've got the ashes as, a, as an afterthought We'll have euphoria, hopefully, to carry us through and everything will fall into place. 
everything that's going on in Test cricket is a little bit irrelevant at the moment, and that's that's a fascinating position to be in. But it's also, you know, touching on George's point about the marginalisation of the county championship, it's also the new reality. There is there is no way that you know, for all you hark about wanting to have county championship back in July, that's not going to happen. We've got the hundred coming. We've got a whole new whole new era of of, of changed cricket rampaging over the horizon at the moment. This is the new reality. England has got to find a way to make this type of cricket work because there's not going to be this option to just knuckle down and find find yourself a guy who's a Hasib Hamid who you can just whistle up out of county cricket and say, come in and, and, and block, block the hell out of it. it. It is not an option. These guys have got to make their own decisions. And to a degree, I think they did it in one-day cricket. Remember what used to happen to England? They'd be five for nine or 20 for six or whatever whatever was, ever else it was in, in their... Uh, in their ODI um, incarnation, and they've changed that. Not they, they haven't they haven't completely eliminated the collapse, but they have got a little bit little bit savvy occasionally and realised, okay, this deck isn't quite the, the the perfect deck for slogging that we're used to. We've got to play a little bit differently. We'll get to two fifty three hundred, you know, craft ourselves in innings. They are doing that in one day cricket. They yeah. can do that in Test cricket and, if and they if the, they think. The one thing the one the one thing whereby the the the, the reasoning that. X that's happening in county cricket equals Y that's going on in test match cricket, right? The reason why that why I, I, I hold slightly less shrift for that point of view is because in the in the one day game you've got this one day side who is is made up by and large of players who don't play any 50, 50 over cricket for their counties at all, doing exactly what Miller's talking about. You know, being able to there is a thought process there. There is a kind of that there is a buy-in. There is a flexibility there um, amongst the very best players that we have capable of doing it, and allowing them to go out there and make the, make their own calls and, and and make up the rules as they go along. And that and there is no problem with that. The same thing needs to happen in Test matches. And the reason, perhaps, why it hasn't is because more than ever, um, you know, you get the feeling that, that Trevor's checked out of, of the Test team. Um, you, you hear him at the end, you know, in, in press conferences and whatever, and he's just kind of given given up, and which is understandable given the way that <laughs> given the way that the batting has been pretty much throughout his entire time. But then I suppose you have to wonder that if that if the coach perhaps hasn't had it hasn't had it as his sort of uppermost priority the whole time he's been there, that that sort of malaise runs away runs right the way through the side anyway, um, whether you know it, whether it's sort of tangible or not. Um, and, I, and I think George has probably been after him on that score for a very long time. So you know, so perhaps we we doff our caps to Gay or Gay and say, "Well done, you you picked it a long time out." Um, but but Miller's right. There's Don't no hear that. there isn't but there isn't any but there there is absolutely there is nothing that can be done. Particularly given that in all of this time, all the time that I've done this job, all the time I was playing, you know, the, the idea that that there should be less of everything in order to make what you do better. Um, has, has always fallen on deaf ears, and it's and and the ears are getting deafer, <laughs> you know, because we're going to have more. We're, we're getting more cricket. It's going to be more of something different, but the same. Um, and you know, we still play you know, fourteen championship games or whatever it might be. We still play more than pretty much everybody else, barring barring India in terms of first class cricket. So you know, despite it being played at perhaps the wrong time of year or a time of year that some people don't like very much, there is still tons of it. Played by 18 teams, tons of professional cricketers, tons of professional batsmen, tons of professional spin bowlers, tons of professional quick bowlers, apparently. And we can't find five of them 
to score 400 right was the longest was been the longest gap between England scoring a 400 in um, in their first inning since 1992 or something it's been like a, a 15 test match gap that between us scoring 400 in the first innings of a test match and that was that the days of uh, Wazim Wacker Kirtley and Courtney that's a, that's <laughs> yeah. a, that's a different there some, world there was some good bowling effects yeah. so, so you know it's a more of everything uh, more of everything and none mm, of it's none mm, of it's better more batting collapses I'm sure <laughs> um, <laughs> given it, England's test cricket is ropier than a ship's rigging um <laughs> Just on on the sense that um, uh, kind of the, the management setup, uh, Miller. I mean, obviously, two thousand and nine, bowled out for fifty one in in, uh, in Jamaica. Ian Bell sent to uh, box on the beach and all that. <laughs> I mean, um, that was seen as as, as a, a starting point. Um, you know, Flower and Strauss toughening up the team and putting their stamp on it. But is this actually quite different because this is the end? The coaching staff, particularly. Are entering their end game. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. It, it, it is fascinating. I mean, the, Otis Gibson has been talked up in the last couple of days as, as a potential change. But I mean, the thing about Otis is, you know, you know Mark Wood was talking about him yesterday. He's he's already familiar with this with this team. He's obviously been, around, been in, in and around. He knows them quite well. You do wonder whether in familiarity, more familiarity, is the last thing these guys need. They probably need someone to come in completely different, completely shake them up. Say, look, this these this is. This is how we're going to do things from here on in because they they have been allowed to make their own decisions for too long and and frankly, you know, in one day cricket, the, the, that has paid off. It, it, they have become a very good team because they have been forced to think for themselves and that that is credit to Bayless. But in Test cricket, uh, that lack of clarity, that lack of vision, that lack of leadership has has caused a bunch of headless chickens and and it's just it's it, you know it just goes to show the, the the vast difference between the two forms of the game. Uh, but just just finally, on, you mentioned Ian Bell. I mean. <laughs> I mean, it just goes to show. I mean, last time, last time England were out there on the on the way up to what became the number one team in the world. I mean, it just goes to show. You know, the, the, it's easy to take for granted just how good that side was. We've I mean, got Strauss, Cook, Trot, KP, and Bell all averaging forty in the top five, and prior to come Collingwood, Collingwood as well, who never let anyone down. I mean, you know, people just assumed that was normal. Oh. That was not normal. <laughs> that was not normal to have that level of quality in a batting lineup. And England were, were very lucky in those days. Yeah, Aside it's, from it's not been the same since I mean, it's not been the same since KP was biffed. Just Gothic Vaughan, Butch, Hussein, Thorpe aside. You know, <laughs> oh yeah, sorry. <laughs> the only team in fifty years to win in the Caribbean. Yeah. That, those ones. Yeah, 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 I've heard of them. And I'm not on that subject. England still never won a test in Antigua, and uh, and they ruined our social media teams. Uh, attempted twenty four hours of cricket. Instagram vlog too. Yes, they got got uh, got Alan in his dressing gown snoozing at his desk, which well, and, and me playing cricket so, <laughs> instead of watching it. So happy days. Hashtag seventeen hours of cricket, whatever it was. <laughs> um, okay, gents, thank you. Um, it was Groundhog Day during the Antigua Test, and you feel this might not be the last time we discuss England's dodgy batting in 2019. The final match of the series is in St Lucia, where West Indies will be looking to seal their dominance with a modern-day blackwash. England have never played a test there, so in one respect, I suppose history is on their side. We'll be back for more ahead of the one-dayers. Until then, thanks for listening to the Switch It podcast on ESPNCrickinfo.com.